This podcast is brought to you by A.D. Cook Music, dedicated to excellence in music performance, composition, and production. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Witten Radio Podcast. Today, we're going to be looking at some misused Bible verses. Today, we have an assortment of different people with us. Uh, we've got Justin. Hola. We got Sean. Oh, hey. Sean doesn't understand mics. We got Ashley. Hey, guys. Anna Banana. Hey. Fofana. Fee. And we got good old-fashioned Mr. Hunter Josiah Shipley. What up? All right, so we're going to jump right into this article. Uh, for those who for those who may have not read it, it is up on our Facebook page, which is Written Radio Podcast Facebook page. Uh, the article is entitled The Top Five Most Misused Bible Verses. Okay. So, we are going to go ahead and start with Jeremiah 29.11, which reads, who has a Bible? Nobody has a Bible. I know the plans I have for you, plans for your prosperity and not for your demise. That was Ashley. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. So, uh, in the article, it states that the the verse itself, which I will reread for you, that I didn't know it was in front of my face, so I apologize. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Okay, the uh, author of the idol, the idol, the author of the article says Jeremiah twenty nine eleven reads like a Christian motivational poster. In parentheses, he puts, "Wait, it is a Christian motivational poster." Uh, no wonder it has. It was Bible Gateway's second most shared verse of two thousand thirteen. Um, then he goes on to say, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Don't worry. God has a plan for your day. Facing a rough patch at work. Take a breath. Your future is bright. Money's a bit tight. Relax. God's going to prosper you. Except in the words of Jeremiah 29, 11 has nothing to do with bad hair days, corporate ladders, or financial success. He goes in to how the verse is actually supposed to be, but we're going to go ahead and talk about it a little bit. So, panel what does jeremiah 29 11 actually mean you ashley said it before <laughs> okay. and now now we, we well uh, i mean out of her. as a general rule and this is going to be basically you know the way all of these verses are going to be kind of discussed these verses are taken out of context because people are not reading the full chapter before or after they're not getting the setting of the scene basically so if you look at the setting of the scene for this verse, um, what's going on is the Israelites have been um, taken captive by the Babylonians. And so they're all worried. They're like, you know, what's going to happen to us? We're going to just basically slowly dwindle away into oblivion. We're not going to exist anymore. The, our futures are going to be terrible. <clears throat> and so then Jeremiah comes back to them um, with a word from God basically saying, don't worry about it. I have plans for you. You're not, um, my promises are going to basically be fulfilled. You're not going to just disappear off the face of the earth. You are going to prosper. So don't worry about it. It's not a, don't worry, you're, you know, you know, right now you're having a bad hair day and, you know, things are just going to get better. That's not what it means. It's God is not going to allow you to just, you know, fade away. You are going to make, make it through it, not in a, uh, successful way, but at the very least, you know, you're not going to, God's not going to just let you go. Yeah, and just to go off of what she just said, 
If you just look at the first verse of this chapter, which is chapter 29, it says, This is the text of a letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exiles, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. If you look at verse 10, which is the verse just before this one, it says, For this is what the Lord says, When seventy years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you, and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. The context is within that chapter. You just have to read it. And this was written to a certain group of people. Now, can we still get lessons? Can we still get teachings? Can we still get doctrines? Can we still get truths from these kind of passages? Absolutely. But we can never forget to who it was actually intended to be read. Yeah, I kind of connect this verse more to like Matthew 6.33. Not necessarily, um, well, God, you're always going to be prosperous. It's more of a, hey, don't worry about um, your future in that your security, basically. Um, you may not have all the things you want, but God is going to take care of what you need kind of thing. It's not, If you look at it in this context, you can still take comfort from it. We're not saying that, uh, it's not at all what it seems to be. It's still definitely still a comfort, but it's not a um, you're going to get everything your heart desires kind of thing. In uh, reading 12 through 14, I find it interesting. It says, uh, you will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and place and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I deported you from. This is a promise, and it's a declaration of the Lord saying, I'm going to return you to home. And that's the direct, I mean, when you just read it straight from there, that is the direct, obvious message that's being sent right here. But people like to apply it to other places in their lives. Right. Okay. Uh, before we go on to the next one first, does anybody else want to say anything about it? Okay. Uh, before we go on to the next one, let's really quickly, since we've used the word context a lot, so let's, let's define what, a, what context really is. Um, whoever wants to try, try it first, I should say, and we can just build off of each other in, in our definitions. Context is the time, place, and people for which an event is taking place. For instance, the context of this podcast is the people of Whitten Baptist Church on the premises of that place. We are doing a podcast for specific purposes to reach certain people, and we're doing it in 2015. That is the context of what's being done here. Okay. Anybody else have anything to add or you think that's good? Just so everyone has the context of why we're defining context. Justin. Right. So most people, uh, when they think of context, they think of context clues. Yeah. And in doing so, you look at what comes before and what comes after to find the true meaning of, say, a word in the middle of what comes before and what comes after. Obviously, that's kind of what comes before and comes after means. Uh, but Generally, yes. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. But you use, uh, you use that information that comes before and after to determine exactly what that middle part is saying. Uh, so kind of a roundabout way of giving a good explanation of context. 
All right. Well, there it is. So we now have defined what context is. So looking at the article, uh, we're now looking at Romans 8.28. Uh, the article says, Romans 8.28 do, uh, doesn't... That's all, folks. Can we just go ahead and uh, put this out there that Romans is one of the very, very best Bibles? Books and the Bibles, Bibles. Yep. <laughs> Romans is a good Bible. A good I mean, well, uh, Bible comes from the Greek word biblios, which means book. Oh! oh! Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so uh, the article states that Roman 8.28 doesn't mean that you're losing your job. I guess we should read it. Uh, you've got the Bible open. Sean, can you read the uh, the verse in question here? Wait, Ro- he has got it. Anna has it. Oh, Anna, Anna hasn't has said anything Ms. yet. Anna, Anna has it. Anna, Anna Banana Anna is Anna in the house. It. Does everyone understand that Anna has it? Would you tell them that Anna has it? Anna, Anna has it. Just News me. bulletin. Yeah, just, just, yeah, just that verse. We're taking it out of context. Yeah. Oh, we're we're taking it we out don't of context. want context. Anna, are you following along? No, it's like this morning when I didn't know what you were saying. Okay. We know that all things work together for... Is that okay? That's good. Okay. We all know that things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Boom! Okay, I'm going to ask you not to do that. Jesus. Justin, please stop doing that. Jesus. Okay, all right. Um, This is about Jesus. Okay, but, so, says here uh, in the article that it doesn't mean that losing your job or getting cancer is somehow your own fault. For, his, uh, for your own good, my bad. Um, in fact, a better translation is probably, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In other words, whatever your circumstances, good or bad, God is still fighting for you. Okay, so let's let's reread that verse one more time. Miss Anna, would you do the honors? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Okay. Go, Sean. <clears throat> okay, so this guy said that God's fighting what? Please read that quote again, please. All right, it says, Romans 8.28 doesn't mean that losing your job or getting cancer is somehow of your own good. In fact, a better translation is in all things God works for the good of those who love, love him. In other words, whatever your circumstances, good or bad, God is still fighting for you. Okay, well, according to this, he is obviously talking to believers because according to his purpose or called according to his purpose is obviously believers and god is not fighting anything because god's already won the battle therefore that's dumb uh so you know that's dumb but what i like about this is that the next verse is even better because it says he foreknew or those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and uh so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers so clearly when people use this out of context, they're not using it in the right way. And a lot of the times, they're not even, sometimes they're not even true believers. They're just like, oh, this applies to my certain life situation right now. I think I'll use it to make myself look good. And they don't even really understand what it means. I agree with that. Anybody else? No? Nothing? I think he said it. It's. People forget that last part. All things work together to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I think Sean said it right. All right. Ashley. I mean, it, I, I think it's Second Corinthians. Uh, it's um, yeah, it's like, uh, now I just lost it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their ways. So God, and I, I will hear their prayers and heal their land. Uh, I know that's kind of a very butchered quote, but um, <clears throat> God listed out before he said, then I will heal their land and then I will restore them. He listed out all the things that they had to do first. <clears throat> you had to be willing to submit to whatever you need to willing be willing to submit and obey God's word, basically. So it's not just uh, God's. You can rub a lamp and God's going to come out like a mag magic genie and fix all your problems. Right. Okay. All right. Well, <coughs> again, before we continue, uh, I just want to say that <coughs> the the author of this article is not saying that these verses are, you know, he's he is actually defending that they are taken out of context too much. He's agreeing with us. He's agreeing with us. So we're not technically bashing his argument as much as we are giving our our take on the reinforcement reinforcement on the verses that he claims are the top five most. And if you're like me or Josiah or Sean or Justin. I think you like top fives. I'm a big top five guy. I love list. Lists are my favorite thing. Like I love watching like top five or top ten on YouTube stuff like that. I love watching it. So what we're doing is you should see his YouTube subscriptions. Yes, beautiful. So if they were put in alphabetical order, they would all be in T. No, no. Mojo is actually the the top ten. Thing. All right, this is really applicable, but I know. I'm saying, but okay, <laughs> but yeah. So, in other words, what we're we're not bashing the author; we're just reinforcing what he's saying. So, yes, we're going to keep going. Thank you, Sean. All right. So now we're going to look at Luke eleven nine. Would somebody please turn to that? Who will make it first, Sean or Anna? All right, Anna got it. Well, Anna read the last one. Sean, you read this one. Am I allowed to turn a page? Please. You I already did it. None of that got picked up. I just want to let you know. 11-9. All right, here we go. So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. Okay. He, uh, in the article, he actually takes it even shorter. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. It's tempting and lucrative for some pastors to treat this nugget of scripture as an ironclad promise. Whatever you ask for, promotion, wealth, the spouse of your dreams, God will give it to you. That is how it's it's basically translated by some pastors nowadays. So let's really break that down and see what it actually means. Let's put it into context. And we're all thinking, which is good. Everybody's thinking. Well, maybe if we had him read it in context. All right, let's read it in context. Sean, you're already there, so let's let's do the verse before it, the verse after it. All right, verse eight. I tell you, even though he won't give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will give up. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Cool. All right. So let's really dig into that. What does that mean? Oh, Justin's got something. Uh, first of all, yeah, I did read the article, and kind of going off what he says, this is not about a promotion or I want all the money in the world. This is about 
the the promise that if you ask God into your heart, you will receive him. And it, it's not about everything that people want to make it out to be. Oh, yeah, if you just pray hard enough, then sure, you can have all the money in the world or you can have all the cards you want or whatever the case may be. Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break and bring you some of the awesome witnessing opportunities that we have here at Witten. Uh, just a couple. This uh, this commercial is actually about the um, Faith Riders. So enjoy this, and we'll be back with you in just a second. Hi, this is David Stanley with Witten Baptist Faith Riders, and I'm asking you to take a moment today just to pray for our upcoming mission trip. It's to the Bike Week in Daytona Beach, Florida, March 5th through the 13th. We will be meeting with other Faith Rider groups from across the nation to witness to people at the Daytona Bike Week. During the last three years, over 10,039 people have been witnessed to with up to 100, excuse me, 1,279 decisions have been made for Christ. Going to Bike Week is an awesome opportunity because this is a core group of people that many Christians are afraid to witness to. Many are afraid to witness to bikers because of the stigma of the rough edge that bikers have. However, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to present the gospel to those uh, using a motorcycle. If you'd like any further information on the Bike Week mission trip or Faith Riders in general, please visit our Facebook page, Witten Faith Riders on Facebook. And we're back! So... We were looking at Luke mm-hmm. 11. Mm-hmm. Nine. Nine. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, talk about what this really means. All right, let's read this whole thing in context like we were trying to do earlier. So I say to you, keep asking and will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who searches finds, everyone who knocks the door will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, he will get a snake instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So again, I think, like this guy was saying, this is not about asking for a promotion. It's not about asking for This is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14 tells us he will not leave us comfortless. He will come to us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and that's what this passage is talking about, too. Uh, What I noticed was in 9, it says, uh, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open. It's a measurement of, I think, faith and obedience. And it's not saying, oh, ask for this one thing one time, and God's going to give it to you. It's if you believe, if you're a true believer in God, then you're going to uh, keep searching, keep asking. And if it's in God's will for you to have what you're asking for, he's going to give it to you. And I think that comes with the Holy Spirit, like Josiah said as well. And that's that measure of faith and obedience is, I think, goes with 13 as well, talking about uh, how you give good gifts to children. How much more is the Heavenly Father going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I think they kind of go together like that. Okay. All right. Anybody else have anything on the subject of Luke oh, Luke 11, 9? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then we're going to move on to number four in his list, which is the one that I have uh, I've seen in a particular uh, 
a UFC fight. Philippians 413. Um, can someone uh, I immediately went to Team T- Tim Tebow. I think everybody in the world knows this one because of Tim Tebow. All right. And it says... I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. There we go. Okay. So, I'm not even going to talk about the article on this one. I'm just going to go ahead and open the floor for anyone who wants to say something. Okay. Uh, I studied this one kind of recently, so I'll start off with this one. Um, One of my favorite passages in the Word of God. Uh, He talks about the secret of life, and this is Paul here talking to the church at Philippi. Uh, And Anna has it highlighted in her Bible, so this works perfect. Starting in verse 11. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to have a little, how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. And this is the secret. That I can, I am able to do all things through him which strengthens me. This is the secret of life, that we can't do it, but that's okay because he can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that is the secret of life. That's how Paul is content. He's been well-fed. He's been hungry. He's been thirsty. He's been a slave. He's been free. He knows how to have a little, how to have a lot. But the secret to all of it is knowing that you can't do anything without Christ. Yeah, I I kind of skimmed the article before we did this, and I liked the way uh, the author kind of worded it. It's not a <clears throat> and this and this seems to be a pervading theme through all the Bible. You know, people are taking these verses and making like these rah rah rah. You can get whatever you want as long as you you know keep asking or keep your faith and stuff like that. It's not what this is about. Paul in this letter, he is in prison. He has suffered much, and through all of that. He's learned that no matter what trials he's going through, he can still get through it. It's not a, um, I can climb this mountain and I can be successful verse. It is a, my life right now physically is terrible. I'm hurting. But through Christ, I can push through the suffering. So, again, it's still encouraging right but it's not all the bible is not all these you know primroses and honeysuckle and you know la di da tiptoe through the tulips kind of book it's you know i mean life is hard and the bible is not here to give it's here to give you encouragement but not the coffee house you know everything's all good kind of encouragement right you're going to go through troubles you need to expect that and um you does, can get through it. It doesn't right. sugarcoat anything, and that's one thing that a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, if you're a Christian, you know, your life is perfect. I'm like, no, I have problems. I have plenty of problems. I just learn, even when my life sucks, like with school, if I'm stressed out, you know, I still have a lot to be um, happy about and content about. And I mean, your life's not going to be perfect. You just have to learn how to be content with what you have and what you're going through, no matter the circumstances, and you can do that through Christ. So. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that pretty much sums that one up. All right. Last one, number five on the list, is going to be Matthew twenty six eleven. And while we turn, um, it says uh, in the article, it says, it may not be one of the most popular Bible verses, but this is one of the more frequent misunderstood. As a kid growing up in church, I sometimes heard this text used to put down other people's efforts to fight poverty. 
So, has anyone found it yet? All right, Sean, could you read it for us? Matthew twenty six eleven. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. All right. Can we read it in context? <clears throat> but Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this, f- by pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Okay, so that changed the entire definition of that verse. So let's talk about it. What, what, how, can we, how can we take this into the actual context? Well, this is with the um, woman with the perfume, right? She had nothing, and then she broke the bottle of perfume, and then um, what did she... Well, she poured it on Jesus. What was it? Washing his feet? No, or it's just it, yeah. She anointed him with it, basically. Okay. So I mean, that was all that she had, and it was so expensive. Like I forget how uh, much it really was. Well, like back I mean, in that day, the way I was taught. Now I haven't studied this in a long time, but the way I was taught was this was an alabaster box mm-hmm. that these young women were given when they came of age, and what it was for, it was for their wedding night. And then they were supposed to anoint their husbands with it on their wedding night. And it was kind of like a ceremonious thing. And um, they were really expensive. They were really hard. It was, it was basically part of their dowry. It was a really expensive, really, really costly perfume that they would anoint their um, hus- new husbands with on their wedding night. And, uh, y- yeah, it was, it was something really, really cool, really special. And the fact that's all what she had and she did that for... Jesus, you know, it just shows that, um, I don't know, to me it's just really beautiful because that is all that she had and she gave everything for Christ and I just, I just think it's a beautiful thing. Well, in uh, 13, it says, I assure you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. So, you, I mean, she wasn't somebody that was well known. I mean, she was a poor woman that didn't have much, but she had the most expensive thing she probably owned and that's how she's going to be remembered is her sacrifice and that's the most important thing and i think this is an example where the disciples were too focused mm-hmm. on uh on on good works and they missed the they were following the letter of the law not the spirit of the law because when she broke this jar they said amongst themselves Oh, what a waste. This could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. And that is when Jesus responded with this verse. You're always going to have the poor, but you won't always have me. She is honoring me. She's giving glory to God, which is what we're supposed to be doing when we help the poor anyway. Mm-hmm. And she's seeing the big picture when all you're seeing is a small picture. Yeah, it's not a, well, you shouldn't waste your time on the poor kind of thing. It was, you know, you can still make these sacrifices, but you need to make them with the proper thing in mind keep the first thing the first thing basically you're going to always have poor around where you can that you can serve um but if you're serving with the improper attitude i.e if you're thinking oh well we could have used this money for this ministry over here we could used it for this ministry over here that's not the right mindset you should be you know what are what resources can i use right now to further the kingdom of god yeah okay Anything else on that one? Okay. All right. Well, that is the that is this gentleman's list, the top five. Uh, I want to end 
in our discussion with the last two par- three paragraphs of what he says, um, what do all these misused Bible verses have in common? Well, each is short enough to fit into a single tweet, for one thing. But the tweeterized Bible often leads us down the wrong path because it reinforces an artificial construct on the text. It's not like the Bible originally came with all those verses and verse numbers. But there's an even more damaging effect. If I'm free to ignore the larger context, then it becomes easier to read the Bible like a narcissist. Suddenly, Jeremiah 29.11 is all about me, not some long-dead exiles in Babylon. Philippians 4.13 is about my personal achievements, not that the hope that sustained Paul in the dank prison cell. The thing is, the Bible is not about me. It wasn't even written to me. And ironically, if I'm going to get whatever it has for me, I need to start reading it with that in mind. Hey, man, I like this guy. We need to do more with him. With him. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. So, uh, last thoughts on those words, on the last couple of things he and says. He kind of hit it on the nail nail on the head for me. I mean, it's kind of like what I said earlier. All of these verses, you know, when you take them out of context like people have, they all have a common factor in that um, they're all like self-help, uh, um, you know, I, God is going to get me through everything. All I have to do is rub the magic lamp or something like that. When if you when you read them in context, they all they all say again are you know still giving the same message, but the message is kind of different from what we think. It's not a everything is hap- hunky dory. It's a life sucks, but with Christ you can get through it. Right. Anybody else want to say anything? All right, well, this has been episode four of the Witten Radio podcast, and this week we're going to end it a little differently. Uh, we're going to have a a preview, well, not preview, it is from their debut album. Uh, this is the band out of Witten College, uh, Witten, out of Witten, period. Uh, its name is Rad Shack. Uh, you can look up their information on our Facebook page and their Facebook page. Uh, the song we're playing for you this evening or morning, whenever you listen to it, is going to be called The Stand. Uh, It features JC on lead vocal and lead guitar with Kendall Cruz. Kendall Cruz, sorry, got to get all the names right. Donovan Allen on drums and Sean Youngkin on bass. Kendall Cruz is on guitar. Kendall Cruz is on guitar, my bad. All right, well, we're going to sign off here. And we're going to get it playing now. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Woo!